Blog Talk Radio. Yes, good evening. There is a war for our souls indeed. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord God, that your will be done, O God, on earth and through us as it's being done and declared in heaven right now. We secure the the perimeters of our time and space, this place where we are, where you are, where the the, uh, listeners are listening for the peace, the power, the protection, the presence of Jesus Christ. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to comprehend the revelation of your truth, your your wisdom, your counsel, your min, your mercy towards us, Lord God. We thank you for the great gift of salvation. We thank you for this time of the year when we think about, um, meditate on that gift of your coming, your rescue, uh, your mission to earth the first time, your first coming, Lord Jesus, to make it real to us, Father, tonight. I pray by your Spirit, Lord God, we declare that no weapon formed against us will prosper and that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. I pray, Father God, that uh, we would speak as the oracles of God and that your spirit and your word would quicken and encourage the hearts of each one here. Father, let us touch on the topics that you lead us to by your spirit, and I thank you for those listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, ah, the birth of Jesus. A very simple thing, you would think. Very simple. We all know the story at least those of us who were raised in that, the traditions even of our uh, our, our churches, the, the mainline churches, the old line churches, almost everybody knows the story of Jesus born in Bethlehem. Um, I remember when I was a child, the, they, those statues in the, the manger, uh, the, the shepherds, the, the baby, the infant, Mary, Joseph, the story, the star, the wise men, it was all so very, um, almost like a, a fantasy world, a fantasy of, uh, you know, how stories are. And, it, you know, it, it took a while for, I think, for it to sink into the, to me that this was a real happening. It really happened on the earth. And so tonight as we talk about Jesus Christ, was it a, ho- a hoax, a myth, or is it a reality that you would be encouraged to call in with your questions or comments? Our number is 347-215-8051. My, co- my co-host is... Um, uh, at another ministry tonight, and so we're here, but we enger- encourage you to call in. You know, when I'm thinking about Jesus and coming in Bethlehem, and I've, I'm sure you've seen some of the movies as well, the, the narration of the, the story of Nazareth and, and uh, Jesus of Bethlehem and all these various things, it just becomes like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know that story, I know that story, oh yeah. But tonight I want to talk about some of the things, that the context into which Jesus was born. You know, he just he came into a world that was already running. It was already going. It was already full of wars and blood and infestations of wars and culture and society and people buying and selling and trading and merchants and um, emperors and kingdoms. It wasn't like, okay, the world stops now because Jesus is here. He, as a matter of fact, he was hardly noticed 
and wouldn't have been noticed except for a few fine um, points of announcement that the Lord God, the Father, had determined to make. But let's go back a, a bit to the beginning, a little bit of, uh, of setting the stage for the coming of Jesus Christ. There had been Israel, of course, the children of God, had sinned and been punished, and the iniquities of the fathers had been uh, confessed and forgiven and forgotten and uh, hundreds of times. They had went into Babylonian captivity. Some of them had, had come back through uh, that captivity as Jeremiah had pre- prophesied their 70 years of captivity. Daniel had done his stint with the, uh, the four kings or the, of, of um, uh, Babylon and uh, the Medo-Persians. Uh, he even served under the Persian king Cyrus for a little while. So he had he had served his time and the uh, Belshazzar. So he had and the Darius. He had served his time in these heathen countries, but nonetheless, the children of Israel were still there, kind of scattered. So Zerubbabel, back in 520, brought them back. Those who wanted to come back after Cyrus had released them. Uh, that's quite an interesting story in itself. Told in Isaiah how hundreds, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred years before. Cyrus was even born, God named the exact king, gave him a name. And that was the exact king that, uh, pagan and heathen as he was, who when he was told the story of his name, uh, which foretold the release of the children of Israel back into the land, he was, uh, he was, he, you know, he submitted to God and he did it. It was, there was not a contest. They were let go freely. There wasn't a war. There was just a simple release. And I believe that's God, how God does things. It's just, there's the final, let my people go and they get to go. And so they were back, but it had been a difficult time for them because they had been taken over by Rome. Palestine had been captured. And, of course, uh, the infamous Herod, uh, I don't know if there's a guy in history who had more um, paranoia and more complexes and more intrigue, and he kept trading sides constantly back and forth, whichever Roman emperor was on the throne. And he was so insidiously jealous and suspicious that he ended up killing uh, you know, because of those suspicions, his rivals, his brothers, his uncles, his wife. As a matter of fact, one of the interesting things is every time he had to make a trip to Rome, he put someone in charge of his wife uh, back home. And, and uh, he said to them, gave them distinct orders that if he didn't come back, that they were to kill her because he did not want her to be the wife of anyone else. Well, ultimately, as it ended up, he killed her himself after he killed their sons and um, various other uh, members of the family, because he was paranoid. Now, this was the Herod that was ruling in Judea. He was the Herod who built the temple. He he was so paranoid about his sins. You know, he was one of those religiously paranoid, uh, complex individuals who would go to the temple, built the temple, use slave labor, tax the people to death to build their temple for them so he could become a, a benefactor to them. And yet he would, you know, religiously keep the rituals of the temple. He himself was a sort of a half-breed, but he was the king of Judea as appointed by um, by Caesar. And so he was in charge uh, at the time of Jesus' birth. But going back a little bit to the story, and of course, Jesus' life and birth and is all tangled up with the political arena, you know, the taxation and the requirements that they go back to their their city of origin, the city of their fathers. That's why Joseph and Mary ended up going back to Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. 
uh, because they were uh, both descendants of King David, one through Solomon. King David had several sons. One was Solomon, of course, and he was of Bathsheba. And the other one was Nathan, and that was um, Mary's bloodline supposedly came through uh, Nathan, and Joseph's came through Bathsheba or Solomon Bathsheba. And we'll go back and look at that in a minute. But um, so they began their uh, starting beyond that. You have the the customs, the marriage customs, the betrothal customs. Uh, Mary was betrothed to Joseph and how they got to that point. um, We're not sure. But during that time and after that point, she was found to be with child. As we know, the angel appeared to her and told her the good news as the angel had appeared to Zechariah, her uncle-in-law, and had told him his wife Elizabeth would have a child. And that became a good uh, way for the angel to confirm to Mary that he was telling her the truth because he that message from him to her, from Gabriel to Mary, was confirmed by the fact that he told her that Elizabeth was also with child. And so when she found that out, she was more inclined to believe that this was a heavenly message from God indeed. But can you imagine a, just a lowly handmaiden living under the the terror of the Romans who would run through their towns constantly and tax them and take their stuff and, and just harass them. Um, it, it was just constant uh, people who were trying to ro- revolt or the, 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 the guerrilla warfare that was going on. And, and Mary was kind of caught in the midst of trying to stay out of, out of it, as was Joseph, I'm sure. But when the angel appeared to her, um, there was something she had to do, and that was give consent. God wasn't going to force her, but he had chosen her. He had chosen her, but she wouldn't be chosen if she wouldn't have agreed to that. And when the angel made the announcement, we call that the Annunciation, uh, came to her and said, promised to her that she was to be uh, to miraculously conceive, Mary said to the angel, obviously good question, how can this be since I know no man? I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he goes on to tell her about Elizabeth. Well, can you imagine a little peasant girl? She's heard the stories of the Messiah, the promised, you know, Redeemer, uh, Savior, uh, Liberator of the Jewish people. And here we have an angel appearing to her. I mean, it's like, how do you reconcile me, my life, who I am, meaningless, common, unknown, with this incredible announcement? It's like, does this sort of thing happen, really? Is this just my, am I dreaming? Um, people will think I'm crazy. Can you imagine uh, what she had to endure just to say yes to God? And how was this all going to work out? Because of the fact that she was a virgin, she was betrothed, uh, they were not yet married, they had not yet had any kind of sexual relations, and now uh, she said yes, so she was she conceived a child. Um, and Mary then said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So at the point where we're asked to do something by God, and it may be something very unique and different, uh, not like all your you know, church brothers and sisters or whatever, and you are left with something that no one is going to understand. They are going to for sure judge you. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to for sure call you um, 
you know, an unfaithful. With her, you can think of the names that they might have been forming in their minds as they began to realize that she was pregnant. However, I think what happened, my guess is she ran off for the first, she heard about Elizabeth, so she got permission to go there and stayed with Elizabeth until uh, the uh, Elizabeth, when her time was filled, fulfilled, she, I believe that um, Mary then returned back to her people. And by that time, obviously, she was pregnant, obviously. Um, it says, now Mary rose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judea and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now, I remember Zacharias still not speaking because he was struck mute as he he was of the, of the, of the Levitical priest line. So Mary being related to Elizabeth, or and Zechariah um, was could also have been of the of the bloodline with royal blood uh, from King David and also po- possibly priestly blood because Zechariah was of the tribe of, of Levi. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she spoke out with a loud voice saying, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb." Elizabeth had a word of knowledge at that point, a revelation from God. But why is this is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice she is confirming the word of the Lord to Mary before Mary even spoke anything to her. This is the work. This is the way the Holy Spirit works to confirm um, the word to direct us through His His path, His signs, His people. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. And there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, this prayer of Mary's is an awesome prayer of um, uh, prophecy. I'm going to read parts of this. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty with their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So Mary was prophesying, praising, re- recalling the promises of God, the lowliest state, how God had chosen her a, a handmaiden, um, and and yet willingly. I mean, it, it was she. And you could say she could have had some sort of an identity complex. How could he choose me? But she didn't. It wasn't about her. It was about the will of God being done. She had some grace, obviously, to accept that, and she walked with that. She stayed with Elizabeth until it was time for her to bring forth her son. And when they um, heard the great joy and rejoicing at that point in time, she went back to be with her parents. Now, obviously, she's coming back into a a very complex social situation here. Because according to the law, uh, anyone who was, any woman found with a child uh, committing adultery, this betrothal was like a marriage. She would have to be stoned, especially if her husband, betrothed, uh, engaged, we'd call it, um, man was going to turn her away or press charges against her. And Joseph was, I'm sure, in a dire position to, to know what to do. 
again, we see these are real people with real struggles. Real To do the will of God is not always simple, and it's not always straightforward, and it isn't always very religious. Actually, it gets kind of messy, um, and so messy so that, that God had to send Joseph uh, a dream, a revelation that the angel gave him that he should take Mary as his espoused wife and not press charges against her. And this was only done according to um, foreknowledge and God's desire to uh, protect his investment in Mary and, and help her because there was nothing she could do to protect her own life. They would either believe her or they wouldn't believe her. She would tell them, this is of God, and why would you believe her? Well, she's never lied before, but why would you believe her? I mean, so you can see Jesus, his coming into this world was very complex. Well, why did he have to come like that? Because he had to be born of a virgin. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Well, there's so many um, qualifications that have to be met in order for him to be qualified to be the Lamb of God. And one of those is that he had to be completely human, but he also had to be sinless. He had to, have a, he had to come from a position where, there was, where Satan had nothing on him. And this is so. Therefore, he had to be divine. He had to come from have a sinless nature and preserve that sinless nature, even as a human being, through obedience. He says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. He he wasn't disobedient, but he proved his obedience through the things he suffered. But he had to be both divine and human, or he would not have qualified uh, to because to partake of. Of the, of the human nature, of humankind, of our, our, our plight, our suffering, and he had to be able to suffer like we did and then take up that suffering and become the Lamb of God. And so a human, had, he was the second Adam. A human had sinned. A human, therefore, had to um, come to fulfill uh, the, the demands of death, that the soul that sin shall die. And that was had to be done by the second Adam. He was the second Adam, so to speak. Um, and so anyway, it going, it, you see how this is not just a simple little Christmas story and just putting all that aside for 10 seconds. Look at what we have done with this story. I mean, is there anything out there now that even appears re- remotely uh, connected with or resembling the sacred holiness of this intervention by God into the into the world? Uh, we have, you know, look. What, what do you do for Christmas? What do you think about Christmas? What do you hang on your tree? What do you put under your tree? What do you busy yourself with? Does it have much of anything to do with this at all? I mean, yes, we, we talk about Christ and Christmas, but it has been so tinselized, so trifleized, so that's not a word, but um, you get the meaning, that it's like the sacredness, the holiness, the incredible, I mean, it is it, just sort of kind of lost. But But going back, to looking at, for example, let's just look at Greek mythology for a minute. Um, all of those legends and stories of the Greek gods, the demigods, the uh, Zeus, Apollo, Jupiter, um, those various, you know, um, fallen angel gods. I mean, I think what they were, I think they were Nephilim. I think they were fallen angels, the watchers who had sons, and they became the, the, the half-human, half-demon gods that were much more powerful than the humans, so they became raised and elevated to a God status and worshipped. But they came to the earth. We, we we fantasize about them. We have movies about them and rescuing the earth. We, have you seen the, the ones of the Marvel comics about Thor and et cetera, et cetera? I mean, we have all kinds of information about that. So that was back then. They had 
the Iliad. They had the Greek mythologies. They understood that they built the temples to these things. So Jesus is born into the context of Greek mythology, you know, the fables of, you know, the fallen world, the underworld, Hades, Poseidon, um, Zeus, uh, Athena, Diana. That's all there, too. It's not just, you know, some simple little go-to-church, happy church club that Jesus came to save. We are so out of touch for the most part, with what really goes on. Give me a call if you'd like to talk with me or argue with me or present another aspect or even change the subject. But if you don't call, I'll keep talking. Um, So we have Jesus. Okay, so we have back to Mary. Joseph, what are we going to do here? Well, the angel said, take her for your wife. And Joseph was convinced it was an angel. And so he he rose up. He took her to his himself. And they committed this... Uh, uh, they made this commitment to one another that they would not be intimate until after the birth of the child. Now, here's here's where things got interrupted. Usually, the the husband would go away after the betrothal and go build a house for the wife. Now, this is a good idea because you have to have a place to keep your wife. And most people these days kind of like to do that to have a house, a home, an apartment or something to go to. Well, he was probably in the middle of building that little house. When Mary arrived back at uh, at Nazareth, her hometown, and um, all of a sudden this edict came from Caesar that all the world should be taxed, and they were to go back and take the census where they could be identified, recorded, take down your your address, get your zip code, you know, find out where you are, tax you. They wanted to know how many people they had so they could raise the budget or whatever they were going to do. I don't know. So his whole life was interrupted, and that pretty critical moment is when Mary was about due to have this baby. So he and she had to go back to their home, the, 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 the city of David, which was Bethlehem, which was about six miles, five, six miles south of Jerusalem. Now in Nazareth, they lived about a hundred miles or so uh, north. I think it's northwestish of Jerusalem. And so by donkey for sure, this uh, 20 miles a day, it's going to be a long journey, three, four, five days maybe even, and uh, especially if you're pregnant. Uh, it wasn't going to be an easy journey, but they decided they would go. But it was kind of a nice thing because they got away from all the gossip and they got away from all the rolling of the eyes and the raising of the eyebrows and the people whispering behind their backs. And, and it was just, you know, not a very healthy environment for the two of them to set up a home. And so it was a great excuse. God provided them a great excuse it was a really nice move they were they were planning on coming back however but at least they would get to go for a few days and have a little time off from all this and maybe by then it would all die down and people would go back to gossiping about somebody else who knows so anyway they they went on their journey they got eventually got to bethlehem um, but they got there late at night and they were probably the stragglers because people usually go in groups and so i'm sure they were the last in line and all of the rooms and all of the inns were taken, and it didn't matter who you were. And, of course, at that point in time, the baby is ready to be born, of course. And so Joseph finds an innkeeper who is gracious enough to give them a stable. Now, here we go. Stop and think about this. Okay, so God chooses this lowly, no-name girl, handmaiden, you know, don't know anything about her really, except that God liked her. He chose her, picked her out. You know, she's the woman who the whole world's going to remember her name forever and a day because she's the son, the, 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 hand, the mother of God, so to speak, and the carrier. And so, 
and they come into this town, and there's not a place, no royal place, no little place, a stable. This is where the Son of God, I mean, do, do, do you get this? He's, he's not descending to the earth in some king's armor with some royal guard and some, on some white horse and some, you know, flashing, you know, banners and, and, and signias and signs and, uh, you know, escort. He's coming incognito. He's coming as a baby. Um, and, you know, stop and think about it. This is like uh, with Herod, going back to Herod now, who ruled in Jerusalem, this insane king who was so insanely jealous of anybody who would be after his throne. He had killed probably a hundred personal, at least a hundred, probably more than that, personal relatives, um, members of the city council, etc., to make sure that his throne was intact. And so Jesus is born within six miles of the most paranoid king on earth. And Jesus is a baby, of course. Joseph and Mary, nothing to fight with. Nothing. No. It's just a miracle. So they they are trying to keep this all quiet. Okay, we're just going to have this baby sign the book and get out of town. Just don't pay any attention to us. We'll just do whatever, but we just don't want to be known. Well, that wasn't God's idea of anything. So in, in Luke uh, chapter 2, we have the beautiful Christmas story. Um, and I'm sure that if you would think about it, if you could sneak in a reading of the Christmas story with your family at Christmas time, what an honor, what a blessing, what a bringing us back to true reality, people. That would be just awesome. If you can't do a public reading, uh, get one of your grandkids to read the story. We always That's one of our traditions. We always have one of the grandkids read the story um, around the family gathering before we open the presents, okay? It's like part of, I know it's our tradition, but it's a good one. Um, it, chapter 2 of Luke, it says, And it came to pass in those days when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, he's in Rome, to all the, that all the world should be registered. This census took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Luke here is making some documentation to authenticate the time, the place um, in history, the moment, the historical events that surrounded this. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem. It's called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of, of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was great with child. So his lineage, if you look at this, I'm going to just break here and go on to the lineage for just a second. In, in Matthew, Matthew gives us the genealogy of Jesus from Joseph's point of view. And he does that right um, off the bat. Chapter 1, verse 1. This, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. We know these names. Those first names are, are common. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashuan. Nashuan begot Salomon. Salomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who has had been the wife of Uriah. That would be Bathsheba. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam 
begat Abijah, Abijah begat Asa, Asa begat Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Uzziah, Uzziah begat Jothan, Jothan begat Ahaz, Ahaz begat Hezekiah, Hezekiah begat Manasseh, some of these names you remember, Manasseh begat Amon, Amon begat Josiah, Josiah begat Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they were carried away into Babylon. And after that, they were brought into Babylon. Jeconiah begat Shelatiel and Shelatiel begat Zerubbabel. Now, you notice here that Matthew um, goes all through. Uh, we now have, we're up to Zerubbabel. And then we go through um, a couple of more. Let's just read them. Zerubbabel begat Abud, Abud begat Eliakim, Eliakim begat Azer, Azer begat Zadok, Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud, and Eliud begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Matan, and Matan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, was called the Christ. All right. Um, now, we got all of these people who begot people. The word here is begot, begot, begot. Okay. They begot. Now, so we see that these people are bringing forth children. Making a quick note of a couple of the women in the genealogy is kind of interesting. Uh, Matthew brings it out. The first woman mentioned is Tamar. Now, we know Abraham had Sarah, so you could say that Sarah was in the bloodline of Jesus, too. Obviously, she was, and so was Jacob's wife. And who was Jacob's wife again? Well, the wife that begot this, the Judah was Leah. So Leah was in the bloodline of Jesus, not Rachel. But and and so we see and, and but there was a funny story that Judah he had uh, begot Perez and Zeran by Tamar. Now, what had happened was his um, wife he took a wife she died she had three children I think and two of them died they were supposed to be you know bring forth children they died so Judah promised the third son to Tamar because I think Tamar was the wife of one of the sons. I think she was the wife of both of them, actually. But when, they, when he started seeing that everybody she married died, he stopped giving her sons. So he withheld his last son from her, although he was quite a bit younger. And so Tamar wanted to keep the promise, so she dressed up as a prostitute, and Judah slept with her. And then, of course, she was pregnant with twins, which seemed to run in that bloodline. Anyway, so she, um, he was going to kill her, except she was clever enough to take from him at the time when when she disguised herself the staff and the ring of the person who she slept with, which happened to be his. So when she says, well, this is the guy I slept with, here's his ring and here's his staff. And I was wondering, I suppose he had missed his staff and ring, but he was too ashamed to go figure out where to, where to find it. He couldn't kill her. So she became, so we have here a disguised daughter-in-law sleeping with this guy. Now oh, she's not married. He's not married anymore, but you know, it's a prostitute type of intervention here. So she's in the bloodline of Jesus. Then you see, um, you, get, you get to Rahab. Rahab was at the time of the, um, the, uh, the walls of Jericho. Wow. She was the girl who put the, go, the red thread or cord down the wall. And so when the Joshua and those guys marched around the wall, um, the walls fell, but she was saved. She was um, kept, and she became uh, Rahab, the prostitute again. She became the the, the wife of, um, let's see, Boaz, Boaz by Rahab. So Boaz's mother was Rahab. Then Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. Ruth was the Moabitess. She was 
a Gentile or of another nation. She wasn't strictly a pure Jew. And I believe that these four women were named to bring, and then we have, of course, Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, who David had committed adultery with. So we see that there's a very human sinful element in the bloodline, but it also shows us that this this bloodline goes all the way down. It's uh, 14 generations, goes all the way down um, to, uh, to, to Joseph. It's taking into account Joseph, who was, um, let's see, we got Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was, uh, who, of whom was born Jesus called the Christ. Notice Jesus was not born of Joseph, but he, of Mary. And Joseph's bloodline was a pure royal bloodline. It started, it went through King David, through Solomon. He had, he had royal, 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 royal blood in his bloodline. Um, he would have had the right, and, his, and, and he took on Jesus by adoption. So through that adopted process, Jesus had the right to that throne. But in Luke, we see a very different story. Luke tells about the genealogy in chapter 3, and the names don't match. And so there's some people say, oh, oh, this is messy. I don't like this. But I'll just kind of give you a quick synopsis. In, in Luke, we have the bloodline, as they uh, many people have, believe, from the point of view of Mary, Mary's side of the family, uh, as opposed to Joseph's side. And notice, and this will start, let's see, where does he start? In chapter 3, verse 23. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, if you'll just note one thing here, Joseph, the son of Heli, if you look in Matthew, Joseph's father's name was not Heli. Um, His father's name was Jacob. So you've got Heli. Who is Heli then? So, but notice here too, the word is not begot. The word is the son of, the son of, the son of. The Bible is very important. Words are very important. When you say begot, that means out of your, basically out of your own body. They begot the son. Abraham begot Isaac. God begot his only begotten son, Jesus. But when in, in Luke we're talking about Mary's bloodline, but we're giving it as, as he starts it out, um, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, when someone married, their son-in-law was considered a son. So Mary's husband, Joseph, was also considered Heli's son. Heli would be Mary's dad. And so Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, we go down, we hit Zerubbabel, yep, same Zerubbabel, son of Shalatiel, yep. Then we go on further, 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 and we go into, um, we hit the same ones, and we get to King David. Uh, and when we get to, and um, let's see, the son of Nathan, the son of David, verse 20, 31. So David had two sons, uh, more than two, actually, very many, actually. But these two sons, one was Solomon and one was Nathan. Mary was out of Nathan's bloodline. They're both related. Their father was both David, so they're both of royal descent. But Nathan... Um, Mary's family came from Nathan. Joseph's family came from um, Solomon, the son of David, so the son of Jesse, the son of Obed. So we see the same uh, members of the family here. And then we're going back. Now, in, in Luke's story, he starts at Mary and goes all the way back to Adam. In Matthew, he starts with Abraham and goes all the way to Joseph. Now, so what we're seeing here is this 
then Luke, we go all the way back to making the the human bloodline, going back all the way to Adam. This shows that Jesus was related all the way back to Adam, whereas in Matthew, he just takes it back to Abraham. So there's a, there's a, a difference in the bloodlines. But to make sure that people don't get confused, we have the same, um, we have some of the same people and from uh, Adam Adam to um, David, Mary and Joseph will have the same people in their bloodline. And then from David on, they split. So going back to um, this, the, the genealogy and the records and, the, you know, um, of the royal house of David, there is no question that Jesus Christ is the one called to ascend to and sit upon the throne of David. Although at this point in history, the throne of David is being usurped by Herod, the king of Judea. And he was, he basically got there by hook, crook, bribery, payment. He was no bloodline. Uh, He's not in the bloodline. He just happened to wiggle his way into that throne through the the, um, favor of Caesar uh, and through bribery. But anyway, and that's a long story, and I can make it a lot longer, but I won't. If you want to really get the the scoop on this, the best book you can read is called The Life and Times of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah by a guy named Edersheim. Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. Brilliant, brilliant. It's, It's good reading. It's old reading, so they have really lots of long run-on sentences and paragraphs and semicolons, and one paragraph is a sentence, basically. But, you know, you can you can do it <laughs> by the grace of God. Okay, you people, let's call me. Let's talk. Um, I'm going to give you the number again, 347-215-8051. This is Christmas. We're talking about the birth of Jesus. And God had to make this genuine. Now, going back to... The story of God's struggle with the human race, it all started, of course, at the foundation of the world. It didn't start in Eden. God already knew from the foundation of the world what was going to happen, and um, he had a plan. I'll tell you how we know that, because when we're looking at what's you know about to happen here, we're going to see if there's proof that God had to know from the foundation of the world. Every little ticking of every little clock, every little every little word, every little person that's going to be on stage, what's going to happen. He had it all perfectly orchestrated. So we go to the story, back to the story in Luke chapter 2. Let's see. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife was great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Notice God doesn't go into a lot of big, heavy-duty description. He just states the basics. Now there was, there were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, as as, as much as God bin, minimizes some things, you know, okay, we just got him there, we're in the inn, they're born, he's born, okay, go on. Now he expands on something that we think would be tedious and unnecessary. It seems like that's the way the Lord writes the book. You know, there's some things he just brushes over and some things he just dwells on. So when God is stopping for a minute to dwell on something, let's dwell with him and see what he is doing. So there were these shepherds in the same country. So we, where are we now? We're by Bethlehem. We're on the fields outside of Bethlehem. We're in a manger, stable situation here. Living out in the fields, 
So they didn't have houses, basically. They hung with their sheep, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Some people say that these were the temple shepherds who watched the flocks that were going to be the sacrificed lambs. This was just six miles from the temple, so, I mean, it's convenient. Get these little lambs raised up a little bit, and then we take them off and slaughter them. So all of these lambs were, were eared, earmarked for slaughter uh, and the temple sacrifices. Isn't that interesting? The Lamb of God comes among the flock of the little lambs. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Okay, can you imagine? Now, we would probably think about aliens and UFOs almost immediately. You know, some spaceship descending, some bright light, some unidentified flying object. I guess that would fit the description of an angel, too, some unidentified UFO type of thing. But, you know, and I don't think angels were a common appearance, so I don't think that they had seen many angels. They sure hadn't seen them on TV. And so they they were being touched by an angel, but in the real way. Um, So this angel, okay, I mean, you're going to wake up if you're a little groggy. You're going to rub your eyes. You're going to look up, stare at this bright, bright light, the glory of the Lord, the bright. It says, Behold, the angel of the Lord stood around them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I'm sure that this was pretty dark out, except for this bright light. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Good thing. I think that's oftentimes when God Angel, don't be afraid. Fear not. You know, I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And that's exactly what he said. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Okay, uh, okay, let's set the set here a little bit, the scene, the setting. Um, these guys. Who are these guys? Shepherds. Are they in king's houses? No. Do they wear rings? No. Do they wash very often? No. Do they have grungy clothes? Yeah. Do they, do they smell? Probably. Um, good tidings? What's a good tiding? We haven't seen good tidings since we had, you know, beef stew two years ago. You know, we don't know what good tidings, great joy. We know nothing of that, which shall be to all the people. We don't know about fun things. We don't know about pleasure. We don't know. The best we can hope for in our life is what? A little peace and quiet and getting our lambs to market without the wolves eating them. You know, that's a good day's work done. And we can, you know, there there wasn't anything really to look forward to. Good tidings. God, angel, good tidings. Okay, God's saying, this is really good news, people, and I'm so excited I'm finally here. Can you imagine God waiting 4,000 years to get here, how pent up and excited he would be? I mean, I could. it's like he's waited for Christmas for 4,000 years. You think you've waited a while. And, and not to say that this was exactly on December 25th. We won't go there tonight, but it probably was not. But Anyway, we will we'll, we'll, um, save that for another debate, and others can argue that point if it's worth it more than I. But anyway, all we know is this really did happen. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the angel is telling him there's, what's happening. There's a, it's, not, you know, it's not televised. CNN wasn't there. No texting. No Twittering. It was just an angel declaring. That in the city of David, where? Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, we know where that is. A Savior, who is Christ the, the Lord, is born. And this will be a sign to you. Okay, what's the sign? You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Okay. Most babies we know are in cradles, and most of them are in houses. But this babe is wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Well, where are mangers? They're in stables. 
Oh, yeah, there's that stable out of town just a little ways out. Well, might be, well, let's go check that out. Wait a minute. We don't. They're still stunned. They're not even thinking about doing anything yet. They're just like, what? Did you hear that? Did you see that? Am I seeing Pinching themselves, trying to. Then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, guys, wake up. Does this stuff really happen? Come on. Just because you have a boring life doesn't mean God has a boring life. This was amazing. This was shaking the earth. This was this was um, this was an intervention from heaven. There's this multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, "Well, shepherds are saying, well, there's nothing like this was ever happened before. This can't possibly be happening. There's no way this can happen. This hasn't ever happened before." Angels are saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men." This was God's ultimate message through Jesus Christ: peace. Peace, freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, peace, goodwill, not hostility, not war, not hell and brimstone, not judgment, goodwill towards men. I love you. I have waited a long, long, long time to keep my promise that I made to Eve in the garden that her seed would crush the seed of the serpent. And obviously... The serpent is the devil. So so it was that when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, whoa, I don't believe it. Nah, this can't happen. Let's just go back to bed here. Let's, no, we're up now. Let's go check it out. Let's go. Who wants to stay with the sheep? The rest of you come with me. Let's go see. I'll grab a couple sheep in case, you know, we might need to give them something. A little, um, you know, this was a, was this a baby shower? (laughs) <laughs> a shepherd's baby shower. And what are we bringing for gifts? Oh, little woolly lambs. How about that? Let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So I believe they went in faith. I, I'm sure that they were sure they were going to find a baby in, in, a, in a manger because angels don't lie, especially angels like that. The enemy lies, but he wasn't that. I wonder where the demons were at that point in time. They were probably cowering behind the rocks, they were probably in Herod's palace. They were probably trying to quick work an exit strategy to get this kid out of here. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger, just like the angel said. Now, when they had seen him, they were they made widely known the saying which they were told, which was told them concerning the child. What would they be saying? Peace, goodwill towards men. God talked to us. God sent this baby. I can't believe it. There was angels. The guys that are listening to him, yeah, right, you're shepherds, right. We don't believe you. You're so you're so full of it that you can't even testify in a in a court of law. Just shut up. So God picked the most unbelievable people to tell the most unbelievable message to the people who would never believe it. These were shepherds. They had no credibility. And all those who heard it, well, I should say maybe not all, but marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But really seriously, does this make any sense that you use this kind of testimony from these unbelievable, no, you know, no-name shepherds. Nobody's got a name here. Nobody went down in history as the shepherd who saw the angel. Yet there were some. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary was pretty, I think she was a pretty quiet girl. I don't think she dared say a lot, and I don't know what she, if she knew what to say, would she could say something, because there was so much crazy, sacred, holy, unbelievable stuff going on around her. What could she make of it? 
Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. So now, okay, so here we get interesting. Well, where are the wise men, you say? Luke, where are the wise men? Um, Well, Luke doesn't tell you about any wise men, but thank God Matthew does. Well, let's finish Luke, and then we'll see what Matthew says. And when eight days were completed, we're still in Luke chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, and the, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Jesus is his name. Jesus is another form of Joshua. Joshua and Jesus means Savior. Um, it was eight. So they hung around in this area of Jerusalem for eight days because they had to fulfill. And they were near the temple anyway, so this really worked out well. They could go right to the temple, the very best place in all the world to go to get your child circumcised. And they were so close. And so they circumcised him according to the custom. Now, when the days of our purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. Have you ever thought of that? That the first, you know, the, the, the firstborn male, I suppose female too, every male opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord, set apart for the Lord. So if you're an oldest firstborn son, you are dedicated to the Lord right off the bat. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, sometimes people would offer, um, the, the more wealthy you know, couples would offer a lamb, but all they had was turtle doves or, a, or two pigeons, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. That's broke. They're broke. You know, it's, but they, they, God, God didn't care. I mean, he wasn't really worried about whether they had a lot of, you know, cash in their bank account because he was with them. Interesting. Behold, a man, there was, uh, was there a name, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here is Simeon, old man, just walking right in the spirit, right in time, bumps into Mary and Joseph as they're in the temple, already knowing, looking for this child, picks up the child, prophesies over him, and what are the chances, you know? And that wasn't the end of it, you know? Then then he's talking to them about this this baby to be a light to the Gentiles. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things that were spoken to him. And then Simeon blessed them and said, to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also and the thoughts of many, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So as her heart was broken, I'm sure the hearts of many of us who've been broken, the thoughts, the bindings, the, the lies have been revealed and we have been released and set free. Now there was again another Gal, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. 
And this woman was a widow of about 84 years old, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers day and night. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him of him to all those who had looked upon looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we see there's in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now it says, and so they when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own country, Nazareth. Now, but before they returned, now the the days of purification, I believe if I remember this right, it says they brought him in according to the days of her purification, which is verse 22. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I believe that is, um, I think it's 30 days for a boy and 60 days for a, a girl child. So 30 days, he'd be one month old, one month and eight days. Okay. So, okay, now now remember, we haven't seen the Magi, the, the wise men yet, but we know that they're coming. And so, indeed, they got a little delayed. <laughs> Not really. Perfect timing. So, the visit of the wise men. Now, after Jesus went, was born in Bethlehem of Judea, possibly, of course, Mary and and Joseph had kind of nestled into Bethlehem. I don't think they would have stayed in Jerusalem. I think the rent was too high. They probably took Jesus out that day for purification, moved the six miles back into Bethlehem, had taken up a rental house for a few, you know, till they got strength to go back because that's a long journey for a brand new baby. And so they were back in Bethlehem. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Okay. For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. Where do you suppose they went? To the king's palace. Where do you suppose the king is supposed to be born? In the king's palace. So they assumed, well, this is the king's palace. Is there a new baby here? We've come to bring him presents. When Herod the king heard of these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Do you know that when that they were so walking on eggshells with Herod that when Herod was upset, uh, everybody was feared for their lives. He, he was just when he was went off the deep end. Went in, when it was paranoid, insane moods, they didn't know where to stand or what to do. But he was composing himself because he wanted to get the information. He was very um, upset, but he surely wasn't going to show it. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Where the Christ. Notice the anointed one. They called him the Christ. He called him the Christ. They called him the king. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judea, Judah, I'm sorry, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew, according to Micah the prophet, that this child was going to be born in Bethlehem. A ruler, a king, would come out of Bethlehem. Well, it's interesting that these wise men traveled probably 700 miles. They were probably from Persia. Interesting enough, there is a theory out there, and I think I like it, that these were of the school of Daniel. These must have been wise men who knew of this king, and they had been watching the stars and the constellations. That was their job. They were to look for the stars for signs of this and that and everything else, uh, so they could, you know, predict things. And so um, they're, um, they're, they saw this as a very unusual event. Actually, the stars and constellations had names. They still do. They still have the same names they had back then. Um, but so when they saw this 
star, actually what, what it was, what caused their, uh, caught their attention, was there was two or three stars that were coming together and looked like from what they, they'd form one bright light as they kind of um, superimposed upon each other for a brief time. And so they saw these stars this coming together and they saw and, and figured it out that this was in the, in the constellation of Leo, the star was Regulus and Jupiter. Regulus means king. Um, Jupiter, of course, the king. Uh, various other things in the womb of the Virgin, Virgo. All of these things were coming together. They didn't understand all of it, but they knew that it was significant enough, and they knew that it would be out of Bethlehem. Now, if they were Daniel's protégés, and this Daniel, remember, he had been in Persia with Cyrus, and he stayed there. He had, he was the wisest man. I mean, all the kings came to him for counsel. He interpreted their dreams. The Spirit of God was in him. Um, he just he, he kept being in everybody's cabinet. One king would conquer, and then he'd keep Daniel on in his cabinet, and then he'd die and get conquered, and the next king would keep Daniel. That went on for four times, four generations. So... Daniel had a long stay in Persia his whole life, and he had to be pretty old. I'm sure if these guys, and I suppose we could do the math. I didn't do the math to see how many generations of the school of the prophets that have come out of this. But Daniel, I'm sure he made a lot of money. He was uh, he was ta- second to the king in a lot of uh, those cabinets. And what did he do with all his money? He didn't have any wife and kids. You know, he could probably send a bunch of it back. When the, when the children of Israel went back to build the, the temple, I'm sure he did send some of his money if he was still alive. Maybe he wasn't even alive anymore. But the, this money, I'm sure he had set aside and founded his um, school, his school of the magicians. Isn't that interesting? Um, <laughs> he was working with uh, the magic, the magicians, the, the wizards of the day. But he, I'm sure that the, the gold that they brought could have easily, and the frankincense and myrrh that were bought and brought, could easily have been from the savings of Daniel, from his estate, if you will, his trust fund, his foundation. And so they brought this, uh, they, so they packed up their, their, their gifts. Now, there, it doesn't say there were three wise men. I mean, we just sing, we three kings, blah, blah, blah. There were three gifts. There were not necessarily three kings. There could have been more, there could have been less, but there were a few at least, because they're plural. And so we can go with three, I think it's going to be okay, but just to know that for sure that they aren't, they, there was names. We have names given in some of our traditions, uh, in the Catholic tradition, I think, Melchior, Bel- Belshazzar, and something else. But um, it, that is a tradition. I, I didn't check that out, although we know. So they came to Herod's house. They had their gifts. They were ready to uh, find the king. But Herod, disguised, concealed his, his uh, rage, his venom, his jealousy. And he said... In the nicest voice, I'm sure he could conjure up. Um, he said, uh, uh, "He said, well, the king said, he said when he called, he had secretly called the wise men to determine from them what time the star had appeared. So when did you guys see this? Oh yeah, it was about uh, five months ago. Actually, no, how many months? I don't know. To, ca- to camels, how fast would they travel? Seven hundred miles. I'm sure they're on the road a couple of months for sure. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said." Oh, go search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Right. Now, you know, if they're wise men, you would think, you just think, common sense would tell you, if the king is not here, 
and this is the king. The king is going to be kind of upset and jealous that there's a new king showing up in town, and he doesn't know about him. And why would he want to worship him? I mean, haven't they heard about Herod's, you know, reputation? I don't know. Anyway, they didn't say anything. So when they heard what the king said, they departed. I'm sure they were kind of glad to get out of there. I'm sure there was a lot of evil hanging around the hallways of that place. And behold, the star, which they had seen in, in, in Egypt, in the east, sorry, in Egypt, in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice it's not a stable anymore. So the child is probably on his mother's hips by now. He's probably a toddler. He's probably, like I said, about three months old. I mean, sorry, um, at least a month and eight days old. Okay. And uh, so they saw the child, young child. It says not infant anymore, not in a manger. That's a wrong scenario. The shepherds and the wise men did not show up at the same place at the same time. Sorry, people. That's, that's just in your nativity sets. That works. All right. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when, Mary, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are very interesting gifts. Uh, gold was, the, uh, I believe, the money that he needed to get out of town, and probably his parents lived on that while they were out of work in Egypt for a while. Frankincense would keep the child healthy. Um, you, you and I use essential oils of frankincense still, and it's very good for infections and keeping us well. Myrrh, of course, signified his burial, and it was what they used to embalm people. Then being divinely warned in a dream, the kings, they, the wise men, that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Okay, so we got the dreams happening again. The kings get this idea, well, I don't think we should go back that way. The other says, yeah, you know, I had this dream last night. And the other says, you know what? I had that same dream. I think, well, let's head out this way. Let's go back, you know, just take the other route back home. Now, when they had departed, now I'm sure, can you imagine? Okay, it's been a day or two now, maybe not more than two days, actually. Kings got there, did their gifts, fell asleep. We're going to take off in the morning. We're probably not even talking, you know, 15 hours. Herod's pacing, nervous back and forth. They're not here. They're not back. Why aren't they here? Uh, where'd they go? You know, we lost our lead. You know, the trail's getting cold. We got to go find him. So he's pacing back and forth. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Now, the word flee means flee, get out, move, quick, now you know, snap to it, don't delay, don't dilly-dally, don't wait till morning. So in the dark of night, you know, they loaded up the donkey and the gold and the incense incense and the myrrh and their little few belongings, and they hit the road towards Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. God hid his son in Egypt. Now, remember when Moses was a baby? It was interesting. He was born in Egypt. He was born close to the River Nile. He was born and floated in that basket right outside the palace of Pharaoh. Now, if God really wanted to do something and keep it a secret, 
you'd think he wouldn't put it right under the nose of his enemy. I mean, seriously, he, I think what's so clever about the whole thing with Moses is God had Pharaoh pay for his education because Moses had to learn how to read and write so he could write the five books of the Bible. And he wasn't going to probably learn that necessarily being a little slave boy and building bricks out of straw. And so Moses got the royal treatment literally in the Pharaoh's house and he got to eat good food and grow up strong. And he knew all the ins and outs of the royal palace. He was probably a good looking guy and he was probably groomed to be, you know, one of Pharaoh's um, uh, um, successors. Even though he was adopted, he was still in the family. And so here again, Jesus born, put right under Herod's nose within six miles of the place. And it says they were there in Egypt. They went to Egypt. They hid out in Egypt until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, there's, there's several prophecies about the first coming of Jesus that made it very complicated for them to figure out just who he was and where he was coming from. One said Bethlehem, the land of Judah, you know, would be the, uh, out of you shall ascend or shall come a ruler. One said, I've called my son out of Egypt. Another uh, prophecy calls him a Nazarene. Now, Nazareth. So we have three different places that Jesus is being, uh, the, the locations are being um, uh, identified. Now, it's interesting that he fulfilled all three prophecies the way his, his uh, birth and moving around came into being. So Herod then, verse 16, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men or betrayed, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So if they would have said, you know, we, we've been on the road here. It could be two years. He could have been here two years already. That was the, 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 the amount of time that Herod determined from that time downward. He was going to kill all the two-year-olds and younger because he would be sure to get Jesus. Then was fulfilled, that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. When Rachel gave birth to Benjamin back in the day, uh, being Jacob's wife, and they were on the trail coming back home, uh, she gave birth to Benjamin and she died in childbirth, and they buried her in Bethlehem. And that is why um, this is, refers to Rachel weeping for her children because these could have been some of her little um, descendants as well. And so you see that this birth of Jesus, there was a dispute about, first of all, there was two two different groups of people that announced him, his coming. One was from royalty, the, the wise men coming into the palace and announcing it to Herod, the most heinous of all murderers of the day. I mean, seriously, God, did you have to do that? I mean, and, and and the other one is to the shepherds who are keeping the sheep. So we're seeing Jesus coming as the Lamb of God, uh, and the shepherds who watch those flocks were announcing the coming of the Lamb of God. And the kings, the wise men, were coming to announce the kingship of Jesus Christ. And we'll see again that issue of kingship comes up two more times in this, this saga. Uh, one is at the, at the, in the, the judgment hall of Pilate where Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And notice, um, Jesus said, you know, yes. He didn't say yes. He said, it is as you say, which is like saying yes. It is as you say. And, and, and the Pilate says, well, 
if you are, then why are all these people trying to kill you? This is in John. Um, if this, if you're their king, why are they? I don't get this. I'm a little confused here. Um, and and Jesus answered, said, um, you are speaking. He, uh, verse Pilate says, I. He said, Jesus. Uh, Pilate says and answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests are delivering you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. What did Jesus do? He came into this world to claim his kingdom. That was what he did. That was was what was ticking off the devil and all the fake uh, kings who have usurped his authority, his, his position, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. And so they were adamant, as was Herod. Herod wanted to kill this king because Herod wanted to rule. Now, Pilate, he's not got really the um, same aspirations to rule as king, but he wants to know who is this. If you're the king, I don't get it. Why are they trying to kill you? Why aren't they trying to help you? Um, he says, Jesus is my kingdom. Uh, if my kingdom were of, a, of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. In other words, he's saying, I have a kingdom. It's not from here. My servants would fight. In another place, he says, if, you know, if I wanted to, my father could send me 12 legions of angels. And, and God would have done it. The father would have done it, but it would have wrecked everything. So Jesus didn't bail out on getting close to the goal. Don't bail out. When you're getting close to receiving the answer to your prayer, don't bail out and take the devil's solutions. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. And listen to this. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus' first mission into the world, not only to die on the cross for our sins, but to establish the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was now established through his word, through the prophets, through his death on the cross, through his teachings, through his miracles. The kingdom of God, the, the tenets of faith of the kingdom of God was now love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And all the law is fulfilled in this, that you love one another. So this king, kingdom, the king had come. He had established his kingdom, and the war really began. I mean, at that point, it was like raging, raging. Um, and going back to uh, what I alluded to in the beginning, how that from the foundation of the world, God knew all about this and all of the timing of it. For the timing to be right in the event of Jesus' birth and in the event of his death, the Lord set up signs. He said the stars are for, and the, 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 the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, are for times and signs and seasons. He says the word signs first. And so they were a sign to the wise men to come. It was time to come. And when Jesus was born and those three stars came together to form this bright star of Bethlehem, and it appeared to move, uh, they, they call that what the planets do is they go around each other and appear. This is, these are kind of optical illusions. Uh, it's the kind of, of a retrograde motion. So it looks like the star stops and then it looks like it moves forward again. And this is the this is you can go into the Star of Bethlehem um, documentary and get all of it for yourself. It's very well done, uh, and it's it's full of intriguing visuals. And now that we have computer generated graphics, we can go forward and backward in time, and we can actually plot out pretty much according to what happened according to the Bible. 
uh, what was going on. We can plot the exact moment of the day, the year, and the hour. It's very phenomenal. Um, I think it was April 3rd uh, in the year 33 uh, A.D. And um, anyway, at, what was it, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 333, whatever. But interesting enough, and how that is determined is there was an earthquake, there was a, uh, the, there was a lunar eclipse, uh, the earth, it says the, the sun was darkened, so that happens when there's a lunar eclipse and the moon goes in front of the sun. And this, this shot from, from the moon would look like uh, the, the lunar eclipse happening through the constellation Aries. Aries is the name for the ram, which is the lamb. And the very moment that Jesus said it is finished and gave up the ghost, the, 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 the lunar eclipse happened which would look like from the moon, if God is looking at it towards the earth, he would see this black hole in the place where the heart of the ram would be. So it's like the ram's heart, the lamb of God, his heart was broken, you know, they jammed it with with the javelin, and he died. So in order for all of these constellations, orbits, synchronizing, rotations, uh, uh, spin of the planets, the motion of the stars, everything has to be synchronized absolutely more precisely than we can do it with our Hubble telescopes and our our satellites and our rockets. The precision of this thing had to be, every every planet had to be in the right place for this to happen. Every, the moon, the sun, the stars, the angles, everything had to show up at the right place at the right time both times for this to happen. And so the only one who put all that in place is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the God of all creation. Uh, there, there's so many ways that God has left his fingerprints on us, on our work, on the creation, uh, through the, the, the things we look at, nature, animals, ecosystems, uh, seeds, angleworms, everything, you, water, condensation, rain, harvest, that you have to be a, you have to be willfully ignorant to believe that the story of Jesus Christ is coming to earth is a myth. Now, <clears throat> one more thing to think about that there's one more time that the king is going to appear and that is in revelations and that is uh hold on a second. You can look these up for yourself. It's in chapter 19. It is um the second coming of Jesus. We've talked about the first coming. Now, just for a minute, we'll talk, look at the second coming. Revelation 19, chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
This same Jesus, who Pilate wrote the script, King of the Jews, in three different languages, and the scribes came back and says, we want you to rewrite that. He who said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate finally took the gumption to say, you know what? I've written what I've written. Shut up and get out of here. He wrote it right. Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. And that was that was our earthly acknowledgement that we had killed the King of the Jews. And therefore, that we had someone, somehow, we, he, he had been recognized. We had accepted him as this sacrificed lamb, that the earth had not all completely rejected him, that we identified authority and authority, a, a, a political authority even, had declared the king of the Jews. Therefore, Satan couldn't come back and say, well, he was just a no-name guy. He didn't, he didn't, ha-. no, it was announced. Again, God had Pilate write that on the cross. He is the king of the Jews. Now, when Jesus comes back the second time, every eye will see, every ear will hear, we'll all behold him, and it isn't going to be because of CNN. We're going to know, and this king is coming back on a white horse, and he's coming back with a lot of people on white horses, and he is coming back to establish a kingdom that he will rule on this earth for a thousand years. This is going to be right at the end of the Battle of Armageddon when he defeats that enemy in that valley of Jezreel with the breath of his mouth. And believe you me, they've got all kinds of things planned to attack Jesus, and I don't think a single thing is going to even flinch him a little bit. But anyway, they're, uh, they're going to try to stop him from coming because the story is not yet over. It is over because it's already been written. We've already been told. Now, I would just encourage you tonight that if you don't know what you believe, then you're listening to a liar because you do know what you believe because the Lord created it right in your heart when he made you. He created you to know the truth. He says, that, he says for this reason I came, that I might testify to the truth. He says, And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So if you are of the truth and God truly made you, then you will recognize his voice and you'll recognize this truth and you'll know that he is bearing witness to the truth. And you don't have to live in all kinds of, I don't know, confusion, condemnation, double-mindedness, doubt, failure. That's all demonic junk set up to interfere with what you already know. If you walk in the Spirit then you will know that the word of God is true and that God is just, God is faithful, God cannot lie, and you don't really have any problems. If you trust in him, and you do, because you're built by God to trust in him, then trust in him and stop trying to make it an issue. If you already know something, why do you have to believe it? If you already know that Jesus Christ is come uh, the, the, the Lamb of God, you already know he, was, he died on the cross for your sins, you know he rose from the dead, you know he's coming again, why do you have to try to believe what you already know? Because that just gives the devil opportunity to set up doubt and unbelief inside of your mind. You don't get this from your mind. Your mind can only think. It can't even know anything for sure. So why are you using it to try to figure out what you don't know or what you do know? Because it can only think. So go to your spirit and say, you know what? This I know. This is true. This rings true. I know this is true. Of course you do. Because God told you it's true. So do go with what you know. And when in doubt, ask the Lord. Ask him. What? What do I know here? And doubt is not from God. Confusion is not from God. You have, you know, I'm just going to pray for you right now. God, I love you. I thank you for this awesome word. This is better than any movie script ever written. This has got it all. It's got intrigue. It's got drama. It's got plots. It's got, in, it's got clashes and wars and blood. And it's got love and 
entry, and death. It's got everything. It's a beautiful story, God. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you. You accomplished it through this Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world for us. We thank you, Father, for the people who got to play in the drama. We're now playing our roles in this drama, Lord, and we thank you that you've entrusted to us the words of truth and encouragement for others. Lord, I pray that you'd get us up and out of our lethargy, out of our doldrums, out of the stupor of religion and legalism works, and cleanse us, Lord, that we can walk in the power of your grace, your anointing, the revelation of your Holy Spirit, the fruit of your Spirit, and the gifts of your Spirit, Father God. I pray a blessing upon each one who goes through this Christmas time. I pray that it would be an opportunity for us to love you, to love those who don't know you, to be a blessing to our relatives, our friends, our, our children, our parents, those who don't have you, Lord God, that we will just, you'll just turn us loose through the power of your Spirit to love, to bring the good message, the message of peace, goodwill towards men, not towards men of goodwill, peace, but those who don't deserve it. That would be us. So, Father God, tonight I pray your blessing upon each one who hears and that you will take this message um, through us to those who yet need you. That the word, guys, here's the word. Here's your word for the day. You want it? It's rejoice. Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. And everything gives thanks. It's okay. Rejoice. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas, and we'll probably be talking with you again next Tuesday. Oh, one more thing before you go. I'm just going to do a quick commercial. If you have uh, troubled kids or no troubled kids or you're a parent or a grandparent of troubled kids, on February 7th, we're going to be doing a workshop called Troubled Kids. It is free. It is open to the public. There are seating for probably 150 people max. So you might want to register. Go to our website, uh, liferecovery.com, and register so that we know you're coming, your seat is saved, and we're going to be talking. Uh, it's Saturday, the 7th of February, from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be talking about things that are going on with our kids and solutions, not just problems. We already got the problems pretty well defined. We're going to now talk about solutions. So mark your calendars, bring your friends, and God bless you. Amen. Have a good night. for yourself.